So you're an attorney, and you've decided to go out on your own. Now what? You need a plan, and you're not alone. Join expert host Adriana Linares and her distinguished guests on New Solo. Tune in to the lively conversation as they share insights and information about how to successfully run your law firm. Here on Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to New Solo on Legal Talk Network. I'm Adriana Linares, your legal technology trainer and consultant. And I'm your host. I help lawyers and law firms use technology better. Thanks for joining us today. But before we get started, I want to make sure and thank our sponsors. Nexa, formerly known as Answer One, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at nexa.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. And that's C-L-I-O.com. Want to make sure and thank our sponsor, Law Clerk, where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Visit lawclerk.legal to learn how to increase your productivity and your profits by working with talented freelance lawyers. Courtfiling.net, e-file court documents with ease in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. If you file in LA Superior Court, you know that e-filing has recently become mandatory and courtfiling.net is there to help. I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Her name is Amanda Moore. She is one of my dearest friends, and I've been asking her for a long time to come on and just talk to us about accounting basics. She says, and she's rolling her eyes at me right now, she says, nobody needs accounting basics when it comes to lawyers. They're smart enough to know. And I always say, you know, a lot of us are just small business owners and getting started And a lot of lawyers that listen to this podcast are, you know, maybe new solos, new lawyers. We could use some help. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Adriana. Thanks for coming. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming by my crash pad in Florida and helping me teach some lawyers about some basic accounting stuff. That's awesome. I've enjoyed meeting your dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Which we should just make a disclaimer that if you hear any growling or fighting, it's all normal. Not anything illegal happening here. It's just a bunch of dogs arguing over bones and pig's hooves and who knows what else they've got laying around here. So you're a CPA. Yes, I am. How long have you been doing that? For 30 years. What? Yes. Wow. You don't look it. I'm 29, so. Yeah, okay. I got, I got license. Right. Yeah. Right out of the womb. Right. Um, <laughs> you're pretty neat because not only are you a CPA with 30 years of experience, but as our dear friends Barbara Leach and Liz McCausland like to say, you climb the sides of mountains with your hands. I do do that. Yeah, that's yes. your favorite hobby. I do enjoy climbing, yes. That's pretty cool. Um, you. you can't do that in Florida, though. No. So you travel. Yeah, you travel. Yep. And you go to cool places like Colorado. But last year you did a cool spin in Spain. Yes. That was awesome. Yeah, I've been to Spain a couple times. Um, it does not seem to me like accountants would be that open to such risk. Hmm. Hmm. I, I mean, I guess I kind of think of accountants as being conservative. That's true. I think most are. But probably like a lot of professions where you're so concentrated in one area, you kind of have the desire to break out and do something completely different. Yeah. In your accounting world as a CPA, what do you do? I am an auditor. 
Okay. This is an important question because I think sometimes when we're starting small businesses, and I speak not only from my personal experience, but of course from talking to lawyers who are either new lawyers, young lawyers, or a lot of times there's lawyers who've been practicing for a really long time, but have been part of a larger law firm and don't have to think about these things that often. So I really wanted to just answer some basic questions, ask you what are some frequently asked questions that you get when people come to um, ask you for advice in their accounting. But the first thing is there's different types of accountants. Yes. So I've asked you a couple times for tax help with my, when I'm preparing taxes, which I don't do because my accountant does. And you always remind me I'm not a tax accountant. (laughs) That is true. Okay. Help us understand when we're seeking help, what the differences are in accounting and tax professionals. Well, there are a lot of large firms that do everything so they can provide all those services, but normally accountants, CPAs will specialize in like audit or tax. And there's a, a lot of in between and, um, other specialties that branch off, but there's basically audit and tax. And then you have a cool specialization in your auditing world. I do. I um, work with a lot of homeowners associations and condominium associations. And so what do they need audited? Um, Their financial statements. And that's a requirement from their boards? From the state, yes, state of Florida. See, I learn things from you. I listen to you, you know, when we're talking business and you say, well, I go, well, why do they need that? And you tell me, well, their boards or their leadership Um, ask you for it or they hire you for it. And that's because there are laws that require them to do that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Cool. And they don't all have to have audits. It depends on the size. Some of them need compilations, some reviews, and then the larger ones need audits. What about bookkeeping? Um, As far as me personally? Just in general. So would my accountant be my bookkeeper? And is my bookkeeper my accountant? Your tax professional is usually not your accountant unless you're very small. They can go in at year end when it's time to do your taxes and clean up your books um, make entries, you know, small entries, but normally your bookkeeper is, is someone else. It's an independent person who's probably not a CPA, could be a CPA, but a lot of times it's, um, do they have to be licensed to be a bookkeeper? No. Okay. So anyone can be a bookkeeper as long as they're good at keeping books. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Yeah. And, um, just to give listeners an idea, if you know, what's the average ish rate for bookkeeping? Like, is it $150 an hour? No. Is it $10 an hour? Um, no, I think it usually ranges between probably $20 and $50 an hour. So if I'm starting my small law firm and I'm looking for somebody to help set up my books, can a bookkeeper do that for me or do I go to the account? Um, your bookkeeper can do that for you. You'd want to make sure that they were knowledgeable in whatever software you're going to use. Oh, great segue into my next question. What software should I use? As much as I... Uh, hesitate in saying it. it would be QuickBooks <laughs> because that's uh, what everyone uses. It's it's the main software program out there. Yeah. So I just want to spend a couple minutes talking about that because what I see, and I'm not a tax professional and I'm certainly not a business advisor. I just help lawyers with technology, right? So there's a lot of new, and by new, I mean in the past 10 years, not necessarily brand new, but there's a lot of practice management programs, which are modern and cloud-based And they don't do accounting. It's a weird world that legal is living in right now because in the Fred Flintstone days of running a law firm, we had practice management and accounting packages that were rolled into one. So they were custom, well, not necessarily custom, but they were legal specific, very sophisticated software programs that allowed lawyers at the front of the house to manage all the information about a case, dates, deadlines, 
parties, calendaring, and documents. But that program directly integrated with the back of the house, which provided the actual billing, the invoicing, the accounts receivable, and all that what I refer to as sophisticated accounting. And then about 10 years ago, the platforms sort of blew up. And all these startups started creating practice management programs. Like one of my sponsors is Clio. And I know you've heard me talk about Clio all the time. We talk about Clio. You've been to the Clio conference, actually. (laughs) And Clio came in and they said, all right, well, we're going to build a modern practice management program, but we're going to leave a lot of the ancillary or add-on services that law firms need to experts. And we're just going to build this box. It does 10, 12, 15, 20 things really well, but... One of the things they chose not to build into the product was accounting. Hmm. So what they do is they export to QuickBooks. And then they all export to QuickBooks. Clio and its competitors tend to export to QuickBooks. So law firms now are, especially in in this sort of modern world of this um, cafeteria style of picking your technology infrastructure. You pick this for practice management. You can even have something different that does your document management. And then there's got to be something that does your accounting or at least exports to an accounting program. And then you let your accountant take over. So QuickBooks Online has obviously been the big elephant in the room that, like you said, you know, you hesitate to say it, but that's just what everybody uses. So when law firms come to me and they say, well, you know, what should I use for accounting? I always say, well, there are some great new competitors out there. Zero is one of them that they often show up at, at trade shows and practice management yeah. seminars. And, and there they are. So lawyers are like, should I use zero? And I always say, well, if you use zero, you're probably going to tap in to their network of accountants and consultants that are familiar with the zero software. So my question to you is just as a, 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 a CPA out there in the world, are you getting a lot of requests? Are you, are you feeling the pressure to, to get familiar with zero or is it really just QuickBooks is still the leader and this is where we're all stuck? QuickBooks is absolutely the leader, but I am feeling pressure. I I would like to have the time to research it myself because I personally would like to find something else that I can recommend (laughs) to clients because a lot of people are looking for something else. Why do you think that is? I think, you know, there's limitations with QuickBooks, especially in different industries. And I think a lot of people want something that's industry specific. That's more so they don't have to tailor QuickBooks to meet their need. There's something out there already yeah. ready to go for them. You know, one of the problems is I think a lot of CPAs and bookkeepers are familiar with QuickBooks. And we're so, stuck. you know, we keep yeah. pushing them in that direction because that's what we know. What about one of the issues that I see a lot is QuickBooks desktop. So a law firm comes to me. And they go, okay, well, I've got the accountant I've been using for a really long time, except he or she refuses to use QuickBooks online. They're making me use QuickBooks desktop, which Mm -hmm. I think is just a death wish of waste of time because eventually QuickBooks is going to push us all to subscription service. Right. Yeah. Just like all of our other important infrastructure software, we're all going to subscription. So what do you say when people say to you, well, I've heard QuickBooks desktop doesn't do everything QuickBooks online does? Because that's what accountants will tell these lawyers that come to me. They'll say it doesn't do everything. Is that still the case today as far as you can tell? Desktop does more. Yeah. Or if there would, if there's really a compelling reason to stay with desktop. I don't think there is now. I think that yeah. the online version They've made, you know, they've adapted almost everything so that you can um, customize your reports. There were certain reports you used to be able to not be able to run, and now you can. And one of the main 
reasons to go online, I think, is so that your bookkeeper or CPA can access it remotely. And easily. Right. So you don't have to bring all your tax documents in. Your or scan them in and put financial them statements. Right. Your in CPA a can just go in and log on themselves and access everything they need. Well, in my very limited experience with QuickBooks, which I've always had in my company since 2004 on QuickBooks, and of course, when the, the change started to happen, we all had to go to subscription. I waited and then I, I felt everyone's pain of it doesn't do everything yet. It doesn't do everything yet. But that was probably five years ago. And at this point, I haven't found anything with QuickBooks Online that I couldn't do or didn't do with desktop. So I feel like the parity has peaked yes. and it's good. Yeah, I think they've done a good job of, of bringing anything, everything up to date. Yeah. Not to mention any question I ever have with QuickBooks, if I Google it, there's an answer. That's true. Because I'm never the first person to have that problem or ask that question, I except that for when I time. call you in a fit of rage. Cool. And I'm Googling while you're, yeah. <laughs> while you're asking me the question. Hey, that's what I do too <laughs> when lawyers call me. All right. So that's cool. QuickBooks online, probably not so bad. And just as a, a quick note to listeners... QuickBooks does have different tiers of service and it can be as little as I think $20 a month and up. So you really want to look at the different tiers of service and maybe talk to your accountant, make sure you're, you're paying mm-hmm. what you should be paying. I've been paying $70 a month and realized I didn't really need to. Right. So I'm able to downgrade to the $20 a month, which is much more reasonable than what, I mean, I didn't need three users. I didn't need a lot of the features that it had. So are they actually allowing you to downgrade? Because in my experience, it's really, really difficult to, to downgrade. No, they're making it super hard. And I wasn't going to talk about that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I'm going to do it because they're not going to get my $50 anymore for nothing. (laughs) Those bastards. That's why we hate them. They, yeah. I I mean, I haven't been able to do it. They wouldn't allow us. Yeah. No one has been able to downgrade. No, we're trapped. We're like prisoners that can't get out. And so I'm going to escape. And then I'm going to put myself right in that same prison. And it'll just be a much cheaper cell. (laughs) We won't talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. (laughs) I'm a brand new business owner. And I don't know anything. Remember that lawyer I sent you that that she called herself a zygote zygote of accounting? Because, you know, here you have this really smart lawyer. Obviously, she's an IP lawyer. She's got a 12-person firm. But what was interesting about her is... The patriarch of that firm retired and left it to her. Mm -hmm. And so here she is. She's in a panic because, one, she wants to modernize because she hadn't been able to do that while he was there. And really, it wasn't her firm to do it, but now it's hers. So that's how she got a hold of me. She wanted to modernize, and she really wants help with understanding her bookkeeping because there's a bookkeeper who, as a smart new business owner should have done, she looked around the landscape and was like, okay, I've got this legal part figured out. I got the assistance figured out. I got paralegals. I have no idea what that person in the back room does. Right. And she reached out to us and I sent her to you. And she said, I just need to make sure my money's, and it's not that she had any distrust or actually had any reason to believe there was anything going on. Right. Just as a smart business owner, she decided that she needed to know what to look for and what to do. So when you get a call like that, what are the, what's the first thing you say to someone? Like, how do we start at zero? Remember, we're talking to smart people, but they don't know anything about their books. Right. First of all, she was great. And she had a really, really common problem. It's probably, I mean, it's the most common problem small business owners have. And that is 
that they have a bookkeeper and they have no idea what they do um, or if things are being done properly. And I think um, the main thing that you can do as a small business owner is to request certain reports each month. Let me get my pencil out. Tell me what those are, Amanda. (laughs) Well, first, it's very difficult to go on your bookkeeping system and start sorting through the data and pulling up reports and trying to figure it out for yourself. Um, But it is important, I think, to let your bookkeeper know that that you're looking. And even even if you trust your bookkeeper and had them forever and they're wonderful, it's important to let them know that that there's someone there, you know, taking a second look. Would you suggest that they say... Listen, I'm going to ask you for these four reports every month. I have no idea what they say or do, and I have no idea what I'm going to do with them, but I want the reports anyway. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because it's important to, I mean, you're speaking to an auditor, so I think there should be a second set of eyes on everything. And even if you don't look at the reports, um, there are several reports you should be asking for. What are they? Um, Your balance sheet and your income statement. Is that one or two? Those are two. They're your financial statements. Okay. So I'm your balance sheet, your, mm-hmm. <laughs> your detailed general ledger, which uh, is basically uh. a report that um, all of the accounts that are listed on your balance sheet and income statement, it is a detail of what goes into every one of those accounts. So if you were looking at an expense account for supplies and it was really high, and you would say, I wonder why it's so high this month, then you could go to your detailed general ledger and you could see all of the checks that were written, mm. everything that went through that account that month. Um, so it's a great report. It's really kind of the Bible for most CPAs. Um, what's interesting about that, I can give a real simple example, is I had this law firm the other day who was who told me, we're spending $40,000 a year on IT and we don't know what that means. Right. I thought, okay, well, you're 12 people. I don't know that that number makes sense, but that's what that attorney said. I mean, again, going back to we don't really, they don't really know what we're looking at. We don't really know, but we know what makes sense. And spending $40,000 a year on a light item for IT, and you don't either see a gold server sitting in your server room, then you just, it's going to cause you to ask questions. Right. And most of the time, um, people have just forgotten. Most people look in the detail of the account and they'll see the list of things that they purchased and they'll be like, oh, that's right. I forgot we bought five computers and right, right. Because you're not going to remember in October what you did the first week of January necessarily, which is probably when we end up buying a lot of technology and infrastructure as that example would go. But often something else that happens is things are miscoded by your bookkeeper. They'll put um, expenses in the wrong expense accounts. So by glancing down your detailed journal ledger, you can spot that easily. And in QuickBooks, it allows you to edit everything. So you can go in and put it in the right expense account. Why do they call it a detailed general ledger that seems to be an oxymoron of sorts, kind of like jumbo shrimp? How can it be detailed and general at the same time? Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Well, your ledger is from old times. It used to be your list of everything. Your Mm -hmm. ledger was your list of everything that was happening, all the checks you'd written, all your income. Um, So your general ledger is, it covers everything and Basically, the general, I think, was referring to all the expense, all the income accounts, assets, liabilities. Um, but the detail means that it drops it down so that you can see within each account. Every line item. Right. Like, we bought... Your supplies. I went to... Speaking of which, and... just want you to know, I now have a three-hole punch, so you don't need to get one. Oh, nice. All right. Because I've got one now. All right. Thank you for that. Yeah. I'll be borrowing oh, no. very soon. Wait, you had the three-hole punch on the one with the paper cutter. <laughs> okay. 
Well, I got a three-hole punch now. I won't have to come over anymore. And his mind would not fit enough paper inside. No, it was that very was pathetic three-hole punch. And so now you have a real one, like yeah. industrial? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, so if you need one, I'm here. So are those the main things? What's my balance sheet going to tell oh, me? Oh, I'm not finished. Oh, oh, good. Okay, so you have your balance sheet, your income statement, a detailed general ledger, and then you want your bank reconciliation. Ooh. And a very important detail that's often overlooked is you want to make sure it reconciles to zero. I'm a big fan of that. I will spend 16 days getting that thing to zero. Well, it's important because it's called a bank reconciliation for a reason. You want it to reconcile in the end. And a lot of times it does not reconcile. There'll be that unreconciled difference and QuickBooks throws it into an account. Uh -huh. And a lot of people are very happy with that, but you want it reconciled to zero. Accountants don't like that. Otherwise, it's it's not reconciled. It's not. Yeah. It's irreconciled. It's irreconcilable. It's, and I am sure accountants do not like when QuickBooks throws that number into some random account. No, no, I really don't. And then you also want your bank statement. Hopefully with um, a bank statement that includes copies of the cancel checks. Because unfortunately, um, the one thing that I personally don't care for with QuickBooks, it is allows you to edit everything. So it will even let you change the payee on a check. So you okay. may be looking at a detailed journal ledger and think you know everything, you know, everything that's in that account, but the check could have been written to someone else. You can go in and edit the payee after the check is written. You know what? Now that you say that, I've always heard that... Um, that's the problem with QuickBooks for legal. I assume it's the problem with QuickBooks for any business, but specifically in the legal world, when I'm talking to um, friends and experts that, that specialize in legal, that's what they say. But again, that's going to be a major problem for anybody. My question is, is there a log somewhere on the back end that says Adriana changed that check from Office Depot to emergency or from emergency vet services to Office Depot? <laughs> <laughs> there is there is an audit log but like it's, not that this is ever happened. hard to find to find it though you know it's up in the gear and then you have to go through several steps to get to this audit log so a typical attorney or or small business owner would not know how to find that but now we are all alerted to the fact that there is an audit log and sh is that something we should go look at every once in a while you know i think it's much easier to look at your your bank statement when it comes in because you'll have your general ledger there so you can see all the checks that you've written for the month and On then the you'll computer. have yeah and then you'll have your bank statement either online can, or in paper right and you can glance down it and see all the copies of the canceled checks and just glance down the payees and you'll be able to see very quickly if all the checks were actually written to your normal vendors. You know, it's this reminds me of another attorney. She charges <laughs> like $650 an hour in Louisville, Kentucky, right? So it's a high-end lawyer. Well, she had had this bookkeeper for a really long time who she trusted, never asked any questions. Everything was just taken care of. That bookkeeper, I can't remember if they got in a fight and she left or if, it, it doesn't matter. Point of the story is the bookkeeper left and provided no more support and she came to me, she goes, I have no idea what's going on. Again, same story. Mm -hmm. So had she, I, I guess it's kind of like the other lady, but I, I guess what I'm saying is lawyers should take, what, an hour out of every month at the beginning of each month just to look down all these reports and look at all these statements and just make sure there's nothing that doesn't look right as a place to start. And I don't think a lot of them do that, including her. Because they're so busy, they have clients that pay them a lot of money, and they just don't make the time. And I really wish they would, because I hate having conversations like this. Right. Most of them don't have the time. And 
the thing is most women don't ask for the reports. Um, the main thing is you really want to ask for the reports, even if every other month you don't have the time to dig in and, and look through the general ledger or look through your bank statement. If you ask for them, that's a huge deterrent. Yeah, that um, makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Um, do we need to talk about what a balance sheet is? Can you just tell us real quick? Because I actually don't know what that is. It, I know. I've had a company for <laughs> 14 years. I don't know what that means. Um, your balance sheet basically shows you everything that you have. Um, it would be like your cash, your accounts receivable, um, any fixed assets, your chairs, your conference table, and then also any of your liabilities, which are generally, you know, debt. Oh, now that you say that, I do know what it looks like. And I do review it at the end of the year just to make sure there's nothing weird in there in case I ever get audited. It's pretty, yeah. It's okay. a pretty simple. It's understandable. Right. Your liabilities and then your equity, anything that happens with the owners. It's a lot of fancy talk, Mandy. What about my income statement? What do I need to know about that? Um, your income statement shows all of the money coming in and all of the money going out. So why don't they call it an outcome statement? <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> when you do a CPA. <laughs> we don't question humor. these terms. <laughs> No sense of humor. Okay. Go. Right. You got your 10 key out? I do. Okay. I Maybe love that. Use it. Um, do you use the USB 10 key on your laptop when you don't have a full, uh, you know, when you don't have a full size laptop with a keyboard on it, a key, 10 key, do you plug in your USB? And there you are. Um, I usually drag my very large old school 10 key around with me. Yeah. I affectionately call him Big Daddy. <laughs> I'm going to need a picture of Big Daddy to post in the show notes. Okay. Okay. So we talked about balance statement, income statement, detailed general ledger, bank reconciliation report, which shows me if I'm one penny off. Yes. And then my job or the accountant's job is to get that to zero. Right. And your bank reconciliation ties your general ledger to your bank statement. Okay. So that's your, your piece that shows you that everything's working out. If that ties to zero, then you know that what's on your books agrees to what's in the bank. Okay. okay. Wow. I feel like I'm 10 times smarter than when we started. But before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from some sponsors. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm's software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and then get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up with the code NEWSOLO10. That's NEWSOLO10. And do that at Clio.com, C-L-I-O.com. Okay, so in our last section, we talked about four important reports that every lawyer should ask for and look at and review at least once a month. But if you can do it more often, great. But try not to skip too many months. That was the balance sheet, income statements, Detailed general ledger, bank reconciliation report, and the bank statement. That's five. That's five. Oh, rats. I can't count. We should not drink wine and do these <laughs> podcasts at the same time. All right. Five important reports. Thank goodness there's an accountant here. <laughs> oh, wow. You can count. Right? Right. 
I don't, I do math like lawyers do. Eh, I'm going to round it up and round it down. Four was rounded down from five. Great. Okay. Next question. And those are all reports I actually get out of my likely QuickBooks or whatever my accounting software is. They're actual reports. Yeah. Well, your bank statement, you can right, pull sorry. offline and then the other ones, they come off QuickBooks or whatever accounting software you're using. Okay. I'm going to go back to a basic question that I should have asked you before, but when we're starting a, a new company and a new law firm, one of the first questions that you get asked either if you're going through the setup process or working with an accountant is, do I want to be cash or accrual basis? Can you talk to me like I'm four years old and tell me what that means? Okay. Well, your cash basis financial statements will show you, for instance, on your income statement, only the cash that's come in during the month and only the cash that's gone out. So if you build a client and you haven't collected yet in March, then at the end of March, when you run that financial statement, even though you earned that money, but you haven't been paid, it's not going to show up on your March revenue because you Mm. haven't received it. When you receive that cash, then it will be revenue. How do most businesses go? For their bookkeeping purposes, uh, it depends on the industry, but most of them are on the accrual method, which means that if they have any receivables out there, if they've billed their customers, but they haven't received the cash yet, the revenue in the month that they earn it will show up okay. on their financial statement. And then the same thing with bills. If they've received a bill, but they haven't paid it yet, then it will show up as an expense, even though they haven't paid it. I mean, obviously a, a lawyer setting up a new law firm would have some counsel from an accountant, but just quickly explain the difference between the two. And chances are that they would go accrual basis. What types of services or companies go cash? Like just to give us an idea. Drug dealers? None that I work with. Drug dealers would be an excellent yeah. example. Okay. Like let's say they use Quicks. A lot of people prefer cash just because they, they want to know. Um, they don't have a lot of receivables. Any business that doesn't have a lot of receivables or they get paid immediately. I have an interior decorator that as soon as she sends out a bill, it's paid. She likes cash basis because there's there's very little um, outstanding payables or receivables. I bet every single lawyer listening to this would love to have that as the setup. As soon which as they is, bill. As soon as they bill, they get paid or they, get, they bill first and then they start working. Um, okay. So let me ask you another question. Chart of accounts. What does that mean? It is a chart or a list <laughs> of, of your all accounts? of your accounts. That's crazy. Yep. All of your balance sheet and income statement accounts. You accountants yes. are not very creative in your naming conventions. <laughs> um, the reason I brought that up is this. I have, and I don't know if listeners have noticed, but I'm using this a lot as a personal consulting session for my own QuickBooks. But I travel a lot and I fly on a lot of different airlines. I don't really, but let's pretend that I do. And I, oh, here's one thing I definitely do. I stay in a lot of different hotels and I eat in a lot of different restaurants. So when I started a million years ago, not a million, 14 years ago with my little company, I'm very anal and very undetail oriented, which is weird because it's hard to be anal and not detail oriented. But what I didn't want was my chart of accounts getting like jammed up with Chick-fil-A, Ruth's Chris, Holiday Inn, Hampton Inn, Ritz Carlton. I didn't want every single restaurant, company, hotel, car listed in my chart of accounts. Why are, wow, I'm getting the the shake of disapproval. (laughs) The accountant is disapproving of, she doesn't even know what I'm going to say. She's already disapproving. Go ahead, finish. (laughs) (laughs) So they're all called, I have one account, restaurant, one account, hotel. Does the IRS really care which hotel I stayed at? Does it really care which restaurant I ate at? Or can I just 
you know, it's car rental, it's toll, it's parking. It, I don't put whether it's pay by toll or parking. Like I just, it's all very big picture. Is that bad? No, not for you. Okay. Because it works for you. And you know that, you know what's in those accounts. Because I'm a solo. But the thing is, Bank of America, who's my bank account, when you look at the notes, it tells you. Like, you know, I just let Bank of America bring all the information into QuickBooks. Right. And then I match it. I go, oh, yeah, I was at the Hampton Inn. But I put the payee as hotel. I think where you probably run into a problem is if you owned a small firm and you had an account like we were talking about before, if your supply account is too large and you want to see what happened in your supply account, under your scenario, my very creative scenario, you would have a long list of checks or expenses that say supply, supply, supplies. Oh yeah. Oh, that's another good one. It's never office depot or staples. It's just office supplies. Right. So you really would not know what runs through your general ledger or your accounts. If you, if you want to know what went through your accounts, then you need to have the The vendors listed. Vendors listed. Right. And that really doesn't have to do with your general ledger or your um, chart of accounts because your chart of accounts is just a list of the accounts, which is like supplies, travel, postage. Yes. What you're talking about are vendor Oh, vendor okay, names. Okay. So you don't have vendors entered into this your accounting system. Which seems like a lot of unnecessary detail. I would recommend doing. Because <laughs> otherwise, if you look at your, your financial statements and you want to know what's running through there, you have no idea. So this would be the type of thing that if I was a small law firm and I had a bookkeeper, I would not encourage this because I wouldn't know which of my... Like, it'd be easier for me to keep track of expenses by more than one person with more detail. Right. Fine. Garbage in, garbage out. I understand we want good, detailed information going into our books. Right. Okay. While you scold me, I'm going to take a minute so that we can hear a couple more messages from some sponsors. (laughs) Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a research memo or a complicated appellate brief, our network of freelance lawyers have every level of experience and expertise. Signing up is free and there are no monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Use rebate code NEWSOLO to get a $100 Amazon gift card when you complete your next project. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. Courtfiling.net, your solution for electronic filing in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. Courtfiling.net provides a better e-filing experience so you can spend more time helping clients. Because they know that work sometimes happens after hours, courtfiling.net offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit them at courtfiling.net to receive 30 days of unlimited free electronic filings and see how you too can e-file court documents with ease. Okay, and we're back. During the commercial breaks, I was getting scolded by Mandy about my accounting practices, which I was just thinking one of the smartest things I ever did was um, take a three-day QuickBooks class when I first started my company. You know how you get the advertisements for those, and you might not get them, but I'm, I guess I'm talking to listeners. You get these advertisements in the mail for QuickBooks training is coming to your city, and it lists like Tampa, Orlando, or it would have had New Orleans and Baton Rouge. And, and I actually went, I think, I mean, this was 14 years ago, um, but I probably paid, I don't know, $595 or $600, and it was worth it. And it just helped me. Again, I'm not a great QuickBooks user, but I was able to not only get some of my questions answered, but also hear other people's questions, which I think are always helpful. So I guess I would encourage anyone who's listening that if you get that opportunity, again, 
and especially as either a small business owner or a new business owner, that just seems like a no-brainer, and I'm sure you can do it online these days. They're great tutorials online. Yeah. I mean, I've figured out things like... Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you are truly the only person I've ever heard of who has done that. Oh, well, I guess that makes me a little nerdy, but I really, I didn't want to be that person that years later was going to say, I have no idea. I feel like I have no idea, but I've got a little bit. Right. I have better than nothing. And still you're not listing your vendor names. Okay. Back to that. <laughs> Wish I hadn't confessed that whole little thing. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's fine. It's actually fine. She has complete control of everything. So. I, well, I am the bookkeeper, That's right? The important thing. Um, what are the most frequently asked questions you get when people come to you and they say, okay, well, I'm brand new. What, what do I need to know? Give us some just pearls of wisdom and suggestions. None? Oh, you got none. There can't be any? What was the question? Uh, most frequently asked questions about accounting. Like, what do I need to know to be a good business owner in my accounting world? I mean, I, I know you've given us a lot of nuggets, but what are other hmm. frequently asked questions? Fine. I rarely get asked a question. It's more um, an instance of something's wrong. Oh, and what are those almost, things? They've looked at their financial statement somehow, some way. They've received a copy of a balance sheet or income statement, and it's the numbers look wrong to them, and they don't understand what they're looking at. So they call and and they say, "Can you fix this?" So you fix bad books. Yes. And then what are the elements of bad books? Unreconciled accounts, I would guess. Unreconciled accounts. A lot of times it's when business owners look at their accounts and there'll be a negative cash balance or there'll be a cash balance that's super high and they just know it's not right. And that's because the account has not been reconciled properly or at one point it wasn't and then it has been recently, but that, that discrepancy was never fixed. Or they may look at their accounts receivable. Because usually in the back of your head, you know about what your receivables are, you know, yeah. who owes you. Um, That's true. So they'll look at that and they'll see the number is completely different than they think. It's things like that. They, they just intuitively know about what things should be. And then they look at their statements and they know they're way off. You know, um, and I'm thinking when you just said in the back of their heads, they know what an accounts receivable, their accounts receivable should look like. But again, if you're a small law firm and you've got three or four lawyers working for you, maybe even paralegals that are billing, you might not know that number. But if it's astronomically high or astronomically mm -hmm. low, that would set off some sort of flare, an alert in your head. And more relevant to my technology world is a lawyer will call me and they'll say, you know, I don't know anything about IT and technology, but I don't think I should be paying $18,000 to move my law firm to new servers and we're only three people. Right. Right. So I, they could call me and I could say, Oh, only $18,000. That's nothing, but they're right. You know, like they know, or, you know, that there's right. just certain numbers that seem reasonable and certain numbers that don't. And I, I guess what we're saying is listen to your gut sometimes, and it doesn't hurt to pick up the phone and call your tax professional, your accounting professional, and say, this just doesn't look right to me. Or call your bookkeeper in and say, this doesn't look right to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes they're just so busy, they don't do that. Any other red flares that we should keep an eye out when it comes to our accounting? How do we keep an eye on our checks or our money that somehow someone isn't putting a little extra in their own pocket? How do we prevent that? You look at your detailed general ledger. There it is. It'll show you in detail 
exactly what's going out of all of your expense accounts, um, all of your accounts, not just your expense accounts. And then also getting a hold of your bank statement because your bank statement does not lie. That right. is, I mean, copies of your canceled checks will show you exactly who they were written to and for how much. So just glancing down your bank statement every month, even if you don't have time to look at your general ledger or any of your QuickBooks accounts. Should a lawyer or a law firm have a bookkeeper? Should I have an, should they have an accountant? Like how do, what's the standard? Here's what you should have as a small business owner helping you. A bookkeeper. Okay. I think it's very important. A lot of, I think multi-partner firms have bookkeepers. Just, it's a necessity. But a lot of um, sole proprietors may not. They think they can do it on their own, which some of them can. But I think that it's, it's really important to have a bookkeeper because if they do find the time to do the bookkeeping themselves. The lawyers. Right. Um, hopefully it would be accurate, but they might not have the time to do it properly. Yeah. Um, and then if they do have the time to do it properly, they're spending a lot of time on bookkeeping instead of building their business or, or working on cases. Or I think that their time can be better spent. Right. That's the E-myth. Working on their, yeah, working on their business. The entrepreneur, the E-myth stands for the entrepreneurial myth. If you, if you haven't read these books or, or anything, they're, they're simple, they're short, they're inspirational. And there is one specifically for lawyers. I remember seeing a few years ago, but it's, it's that idea of, wow, you're a great baker. You should open a bake shop. And then it turns out that those people aren't really good business owners. And I think with lawyers, a lot of times, anyway, the, let me back up. The message in that book is you should be spending time working on your business, not in your business. Exactly. And that's why I think it's important to encourage them and remind them, all small business owners, but of course, we're talking to lawyers here, to find someone that you trust that isn't going to charge you an arm and a leg. And we already said bookkeeping should cost somewhere around $25 to $50 an hour, probably mm-hmm. based on your region, your needs. And if you're looking for that person, ask your colleagues, I would guess. Of course, you can Google local companies that do that. But I always think that talking to colleagues is probably one of the best ways to find that person. Or your tax professional is a great person to ask. Because they'll recommend. Or if they don't have it in-house, then right, they can recommend. They can recommend. All right, Mandy, before I let you go, I have just received four questions from an anonymous source (laughs) practicing law in the corner of the room (laughs) who's been listening to us record this podcast and was curious enough to ask some questions, which I love because he's a solo practitioner and these are like legit questions. Okay, so let's hear. If I have a professional corporation or an S-corp, say XYZ Inc., a Florida or California professional corporation, and I'm a sole owner, how important is it to separate personal expenses from business expenses versus basically just using my business checking card for just about everything and calling it a business expense? I feel like I could have asked that question. It's very important. Okay. Wow. The accountant is starting to sweat. From from her pits again with these sorts of questions. The accountant's upset. (laughs) She's rubbing her palms on her hand, her knees, going, oh, my God, is this a real question? Do people really do this? Okay, just, Mandy, this is um, a, you know, scenario, if you will. Just for simplicity purposes of keeping track of your books, um, keeping track of deductible expenses, it's important to keep a separate credit card. Um, You'll have your separate credit card statements. What about, um, I take my wife out to dinner, but I use my business 
credit card to pay for it. Do we frown upon that? Hmm. She's not my office manager. (laughs) (laughs) Is she a prospective client? (laughs) She's not. She's not. But we did talk about business. That would be frowned upon. Okay, frowned upon. So the answer to this is it's better to keep them both separate. It is. Okay, fine. We hate those answers. What are my greatest risks of getting audited? And then, parenthetically, I don't want to get audited. (laughs) You want to file your taxes and you want to pay your taxes. Okay. Those are very important. Oh, that reminds me. What about paying quarterly employment or what if I don't have any employees? I'm a solo. Do I need to pay some quarterly something? You would make estimated tax payments, hopefully. Um, A lot of people do not. Sadly, myself included. But then we end up having to pay a giant chunk next year. Right. I think it's important to do it because a lot of times there's surprises at year end and you hate to be caught in that situation where you have to pay a huge lump sum and come up with the money. Oh my God. Haven't Um, we all had that problem? Yeah. So it's easier just to go ahead and make, even if it's a minimal amount, if you can't make the, the amount that your CPA suggested you make, at least, you know, send something in. And you said my CPA, not my bookkeeper? Or would my bookkeeper be able to make recommendations on what they think I should pay? I would, um, I would use the advice of your, your CPA, your tax preparer. So here's a side question that just came in from the anonymous attorney practicing law in the corner. Also, if I'm a solo with a professional corp, should I pay myself a salary or just keep all the profits? I would suggest paying yourself a salary, at least 50% of those profits. Okay. And then can I pass through the other 50% as a draw? As a show, yes, as a drawer of shareholder distribution, yes. Do you know how I was able to ask that very smart question? Because that's what I do. Oh, very nice. <laughs> See, that QuickBooks class uh-huh. paid off. Was it your QuickBooks class or your CPA? Uh, maybe my person? CPA. Hey, you don't no. want to take it all as a shareholder distribution because that is a red flag. Okay. You could possibly get audited. Which loops us back to how do I prevent from... Yes. prevent myself from being audited, That's and that right. is you don't take 100%. Some employment taxes. Pay yes. some employment taxes. Okay. Well, Mandy, this has been awesome and very helpful. And I know, I feel like you probably think, maybe you don't because you do this all the time, that people have these answers and we should know because we're business owners, and especially because our listeners are often lawyers. But the truth is, these aren't the things they learn in law school. Um, and as I said, when we started, sometimes they're either new or they've just been working under, you know, the umbrella of a large law firm where these things didn't matter. Everything just got done. So I feel like this has been really helpful and I really want to thank you because <laughs> have you stopped sweating? I think I have. Yes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> if I'm an attorney in California, can I call you and hire you as your bookkeeper? Yes. I can come help you. Um, Fix your financial statements if you feel like your bookkeeper has gone astray, but I cannot uh, audit your books. And that's because accountants, like lawyers, are licensed per state. Correct. So you should find an accounting, what are you, a tax professional and an accounting professional in your state to help you. Right. If you need a CPA, then they need to be certified in your state. But bookkeepers, again, they don't have to necessarily be licensed. You just want to find someone who's trustworthy and experienced. It's always great to be able to find someone who's worked with law firms as well. Um, So again, just turn to your peers and ask for some help. But if you're in Florida and you're looking for some help, um, Mandy's your gal. She's amazing and wonderful. And especially if your favorite thing is those homeowners association audits. Woo! That is some sexy work right there. Mandy Moore. Go clean fun. Go, go. <laughs> get that 10 key out and a bottle of wine. 
Um, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you if they are interested in reaching out to you. And I do also want to say we can have Mandy back almost anytime because she's one of my neighbors. So if you have more questions and, you know, you just really want some general advice, I would never put Mandy on the line with difficult questions or something that might be an ethical question. But if you do have some more questions, email them to us and we'll compile some questions and get Mandy back on and really get your questions answered for you. But if they don't want to email me and they either want to email or call you, how can they do that? They can email me at amandacpa at iCloud.com. All right. Well, thanks so much, Mandy. I really appreciate you stopping by. It's always great to have my good friends on who are always so smart and helpful. Oh, oh, I've got an idea. Let's do a new segment on New Solo called Make Mandy Sweat pretty funny to watch you sort of get all nervous and jacked up about these accounting questions, Mandy. So um, listeners, if you have some basic accounting questions or scenarios that you want to have answered by Mandy and really make them complicated, maybe we can make her sweat some more. Send those questions in to newsolo at legaltalknetwork.com. We'll collect a few questions and have Mandy come back on and, you know, just get her sweating a little bit, but also helping us at the same time. Thank you for listening to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. If you like what you've heard, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a good review on iTunes. We'll see you next time. And remember, you're not alone. You're New Solo. Thanks for listening to New Solo with host Adriana Linares. Tune in again to learn more about how to successfully run your new practice. Solo, here on Legal Talk Network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.